0: Well, good morning to you all. You notice there's a class coming up uh, for our young adults called adulting. And uh, as I saw that, I thought, boy, there's a lot of people that need that class. And I'm not talking about young adults. I just am on Facebook and I see it and I go, boy. And uh, the one that teaches that one of our elders, Corey Sharpener, uh, we can call him Corey Sharpener because he's going to help us all do adulting right. And uh, hopefully we start growing up and maturing. Little interesting thing as I was sitting on the front pew thinking, and uh, kind of interesting anyway, uh, Bible college attendance goes down when the economy goes up. Now, we can probably come up with 101 reasons why that is, but here's one of my theories. One of the songs we sang talked about, Are You Tired?, of doing things yourself. And I kinda wonder when the economy goes down, people go, okay, I guess I can't pursue riches and fame, so maybe I'll see what God has going on. And I just wanna warn you because I can tell you that the world's path and ways are a mile wide and an inch deep. And I see it on Facebook, And I'm about to go on a holiday, and one thing you won't see is me posting pictures of it, as much as I'd love to rub it in your faces. And you won't see pictures of my food. You won't see pictures of me by palm trees. Don't know if I'll see palm trees. But it is really, it's an interesting thing. Life seems to be all about us and what we want to do. One of my favorite things to do, and you may or may not know this about me, is I haven't done it actually for a couple of years, and I think while I'm on holidays I might grab a couple of these kinds of books, but I like reading biographies. I don't like reading the kind of bi- biographies, rags to riches or, or I change the world kind of biographies. I like reading the spiritual, godly, Mother Teresa kind of biographies. Uh, they've always been a huge inspiration to me, and I've got to bend down, Rah! bad back, there we go, we got it. Got to get one of those big long things that you can pick stuff up, one of those old man things. One of the biographies I read years ago, in fact, I, I, this morning for a service I was reading it going, uh, you can tell it was written in 1910. And this is a bi- biography of a guy by the name of Goforth of China. Uh, he was a missionary in China, and uh, God began to do incredible things there. And I think when you think of China back 100 years ago, you don't think of lots of Christians at that time. But the one thing that in all the biographies I read, and I especially like to read the ones about revival, whenever you read about revival, you'll discover that just like the book of Acts, there's a couple of things that seem to precede souls being saved. One of the things that precedes that is the church, and I don't mean this big building. The individuals in a church seem to get to a point where they literally, what did the one song we sang said, have you come to the end of yourself People in the church, they start to, and here's a shocker, they start to repent. Somebody asked me yesterday, well, when you're in the book of Acts, what are you going to say about Ananias and Sapphira? And if you're curious what that is, look it up. It's a couple of chapters in. And uh, they lied, and they were struck dead. Well, what do we do with that within our grace talk, how God loves you and forgives you, and uh, When we get there, we'll talk about that. But the first thing that happens is God's people change. And you go, well, what's wrong with us? Well, at the very end of the sermon, you'll see a church that was about 30 years old that had already started to drift. And that drifting starts in the pew, and it starts with individuals. It happens in the pulpit. Heaven forbid we drift. So go forth of China. I just wanted to read you just a few little quotes out of the book. What has happened, the author writes? Nothing more than God has promised from the beginning. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, he will convict the world of sin. The church in Changte has been baptized by the Holy Spirit and cleansed, and the cry of all here is, why did we long despise his working and trust in other ways to build up his kingdom? As Mr. Goforth's object in these meetings was not a revival among the heathen, but among the Christians, it was necessary for us to call into the central station, all who could come from the seven counties of this district. As to Mr. Goforth's addresses, they were earnest gospel talks, straight home to the heart, well illustrated with incidents from Korea, Manichuria, Shanxi, and other places. And on Monday morning, his text was from Revelation 3.15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. After the addresses, an opportunity was given for prayer when several broke down in tears, Unable to proceed. Friends, I don't know if you long for that. I don't know if you desire to be in a church like that. My desire is all of the churches would have a spirit of repentance. Here's a question for you. Did you realize there's three competing stories that are trying to be told in your life? Are you aware that there's three competing stories? Now the first story, well, the Bible likes to call it the flesh, and that is our self-desires, we're hungry, we eat, Uh, even more base, we want sex, we go get it, Uh, we get angry, we fight. That's the flesh and that is competing for the story in your life, your anger, your unforgiveness, whatever it might be. The second story competing for your life, the Bible describes this story as Satan himself, and it goes on to say that Satan is the prince of this world, so the second story, like Romans 12 says, do not conform any long to the patterns of this world, and many of us read that text and we go, we have no idea what's different between my life and pattern and what God wants. So the second struggle or story is Satan's story in your life. And then, of course, the third story, wanting to be written in all of our lives, is God's story. Is God's story. And I ask you this morning, and I think all of us are challenged, all of us struggle between the different kinds of stories, which story Which story? this last week was being written in your soul? I can tell you what God's story has a habit of looking like. It looks like selflessness, it looks like attending PRBI, it looks very different than a lot of what you see in the world, it looks like being generous to your neighbors, helping those in need, not focusing all on our wants and desires, in other words, sledding is a great thing and we need to take times of refreshing, But if it's all about us, that's not God's story. So what is the usual pattern for God's story? And we're going to be going into the book of Acts this morning, and I would argue that the book of Acts, which myself included, often write off because it just seems too outlandish, And we sometimes say, well, that's what happened back then. It was so evil, and and the Word of God wasn't established yet, so, so God poured out His Spirit in such ways we could never see that again. Or we read stories like, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to me, and we go, well, I get the me part, but how could a group of people say, God wants this in my life? And the older I get, the more I'm coming to realize that the book of Acts isn't just a history book. It is a book of God's story in the church yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father. We want your story written in our lives, especially as the communion table's laid before us, as our service, as our worship, leads us towards that beautiful commemoration, that beautiful remembrance of the bread representing your body that you gave everything, 100% to us, so that we could have a story, a God story the juice representing your blood that was spilt on the ground, that through your death, your forgiveness, you're taking the punishment of our sins, we could then be filled with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, so that your story, God, would be written on our hearts. And so God, as we look at your word today, may it impact us, may strongholds be torn down. And forgive us, God, for searching the internet so that we could have a worldly, fleshly story and dabble a little bit in Christianity. We want to hear what your story for us is today. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. I'm so glad, by the way, that I've done those sermons on tithing. And uh, one of the reasons, and a lot of people have asked me, why is it because you are afraid? And I, It's not that. It's, it's that I knew that 70% of people in the church don't tithe, And so I knew that three-quarters of you wouldn't like what I was saying. Is there anybody that wants to get up and do that? Well, today I recognize, and here's another shock, only about 10% of you pray every day. And I want us to change that story. Are you aware that in the book of Revelation, we read verses like, I stand at the door and knock, Whoever opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. And we go, well, that's a conversion story. Well, is it though? Could it be that Jesus wants a relationship with you? As we read the book of Acts, I think you're going to see the latter. You're going to see that Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to hear his voice where we, his sheep, can recognize his voice. And yes, we have a tempter, Satan, who often comes as the angel of light and tries to tell us lies. But as we grow in the things of the Lord, as we read the scriptures and get to know truth, we get to recognize God's voice and Satan's voice. And God wants to come in and eat with you. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to Luke because the book of Luke and the book of Acts were written by a guy named Luke. Some people debate that because it is never said in either book who writes them. And uh, we don't even know lots about Luke. Uh, I was always told he was a doctor and a lot of the language in Luke and Acts is doctor-like. And in fact, we have a reference we'll look at later that says Luke was a doctor. Is it the same Luke? We're not sure. But I can tell you for sure that these two books are connected and you will see why and how. Interesting little fact about Luke and Acts that's slightly different. Uh, Luke is kind of written in modern vernacular of the day, sort of like we would write. And Acts is written a little bit more classical like Shakespeare or King James Version, like a little more classical English, more, more storytelling format. But yet, to me, as you look at both, there's so much similarities, so many connections and ties. Luke is book A and Acts is book B, or Luke is the prequel and Acts is the, whatever you say to that, I can't even think of that right now. You hate that when you get a really good point in your head and then you can't remember the second word. In the very last chapter of Luke, we read these words in Luke 24, 44. He, Jesus, said to them, this is what I told you. While I was still with you. Now, Jesus is resurrected at this point. He's meeting with his followers. And he says, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And here's one of my favorite few words in the Bible. Then he opened their minds. Then he opened their minds. Why? So they could understand the Scriptures. So they could understand the Scriptures. Friends, so many of us need to have our minds opened. We look at the Scriptures from a human fleshly or even sometimes a Satan leading way to make excuses for our sins and we take stuff out of context. Let's, before we read the Bible, pray that God will open our minds Verse 46, he told him, This is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And here it comes. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this isn't, oh, I am so sorry part. It's, I'm so sorry. And God says, You're forgiven. Will be preached in his name and to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, and here comes a warning. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Christianity, friends, is not pulling your boots up by the bootstraps. You're not supposed to do all your self-will to jump in the air. You're not supposed to toil and strive to be a better person. It is about God in you, the Holy Spirit. This was so critical and so important to the early church. Jesus said, don't do anything. Just sit and wait until my Spirit comes. And if you ever see me on the front pew, this has always been on my mind, and it's even been pressed in harder lately. I pray, oh God, and the words that came to me just before this service was not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And it began to change. I kept saying it over and over, again, and I said, not by my might, not by my power, but by your spirit. Less of me, more of you, God. I want to be clothed with power from on high. Many years ago when I was a young Christian, now I came to Christ seven or eight years old, didn't grow up in the church, but I never really started going to church till I was about 14, 15. I will admit that I started going to church Sunday morning because it was a cute girl that I liked. That didn't work out really fast. In fact, I think I dated the girl for 12 hours. Started dating her on a Friday night. She broke up with me at the phone call at 8 a.m. the next morning. Fastest girl I ever started dating and got broke up with. But I kept going to church. So fast forward, I'm living in Calgary, had one year of Bible college, and a friend from Bible college, he came to live with me. I had gotten an apartment. Actually, it was just a little studio. We kind of had beds spread out everywhere. And I started a Bible study because I thought that's what you should do. And uh, one of my roommates named Curtis. Well, I think he came because he had no choice, because it was in our house. But I remember we were going through something like Luke or John. I don't remember, just verse by verse, reading a bit and trying to understand it. And I would read it, and I would say, "What do you guys think?" And Curtis would come up with such profound answers and insight. I'd be looking at the text, going, "Yeah, that's that's what it said." Well, that's unbelievable. Now, I used to say to Curtis, like, how do you get that understanding? Well, I grew up in the church, but I've come to understand from the text from Luke a little more. I believe God was giving Luke understanding. God's story, your flesh's story, the world's story, which one is going to be written? Which one are you going to go after? What Luke is saying is God is the one who gives understanding. We must ask him each time we read his word, the Bible, to give us that understanding. Now before we start in Acts verses 1 and 2, jump to Acts chapter 1 verses 4. This is an actual exact thought that Luke said. But he says it differently. Do not leave Jerusalem, same kind of words, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now he's referring back to Luke. Book A, Acts is Book B. Here's some insight to this important truth, what I'm trying to get across. We in our culture are obsessed with word-for-word details. A little sidetrack, anybody that speaks another language, have you ever tried to translate it word for word into English, the stuff you know? My grandmother had a German saying on her wall, and I said, what does it mean? And she told me, and I went, what does it mean? (laughs) She said, well, in the German, it's funny. I said, okay, take your word for it. You see, even the translators get caught up in this. You have to translate thought for thought. We get obsessed And a lot of our difficulty in the Scriptures is because we have this obsession for detail. It's our scientific kind of rooted thing. In the culture that this book of Acts was written, it was a storytelling culture. Uh, The details, as important as they were, weren't that important. What was important is what was going on, what's the story? Have you ever heard the saying, a camera cannot lie? Well, I saw a camera lie this week. Does <laughs> anybody watched CNN or CBC TV this week? Did you see the poor little white Catholic boy? He's in life for March in, uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., and his high school's finished, they're waiting at a bus stop. And as the cameras and the video the next day showed, they were just waiting. And this group of black Israelites came up, a very prejudiced group, apparently. They started hurling insults at the Catholic boys, calling them all sorts of horrible stuff. And in fact, they even ran ran down homosexuality and the Catholic boys actually said, hey, these are human beings you're talking about. And then, as the conflict began to rise between those two groups, a native guy, his words, he said, I tried to dispel or break down this conflict. So I I went into the group and the boys surrounded me. Well, the video the next day showed he walked in and the boys didn't surround him, but he went into the middle of the boys. And so you started to see a different story play out. And the video on the CNN and on CBC showed this poor white kid with a drum pounding right by his face. He's smiling. He's trying to not get angry to diffuse the situation. And all the news people the first night said, Look at his smirk. And the kid the next day said, I wasn't smirking. I was trying to diffuse. I was I was you see, there's a different story when you, you look at the big picture. So as we look at the book of Acts, don't get caught up in the details, don't get caught up in the, in the little wording of this or that, but, but look at the story. What's going on? What is God doing? How is it impacting people? Are they repenting? Are they growing? And I will argue with anybody today, the book of Acts is as equal and powerful for writing doctrine as any book in the Bible. And I've come to understand more and more as I grow in my knowledge as I get understanding from the Holy Spirit what the book of Acts is really about. So let's study the book of Acts in the coming months, as unbiased as possible. Don't look at it just as history and not good for doctrine, but let's look at it and say what can this teach us Let's explore what ways God led the early church and let's ask how we can see him revive us and how we go about that. So let's start in Acts chapter one. We're just gonna go two verses. It's communion, can't do too much today. But just a basic introduction. Acts chapter one, verse one says, in my former book, the book of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. The word Theophilus in this text, uh, it is referencing back to Theophilus in Luke chapter one. Now we don't know who Theophilus was, but likely he was either a very dear friend that Luke was writing too about Jesus and Jesus in the early church. It is very possible, some theologians will argue or historians, that he was a benefactor and he was paying Luke to do this. This is a guy who was transformed by the gospel and said, somebody's gotta write this down. This is incredible stuff. So who was Luke? Who was Luke? Colossians 4:14, written a little bit after all this text, says, "Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send their greetings." Just like today, doctors, by the way, they don't walk on water and they're not perfect. Every one of them that we have here will tell you that. but we do respect them. They are the most respected profession in our society, higher than pastors, unfortunately. Luke was a doctor, he was a educated man, a man who could write classical storytelling style. We don't know if Luke was a Jew or a Greek, we're not sure. Some argue this or some argue that, but whoever Luke was, his grammar and vocabulary are really advanced. We do know that Luke was a close companion of Paul. We know from his opening comments that he wanted to be thorough, but in his culture. Not thorough like we would, per se, do it. He was thorough in his storytelling. At this point, you're probably wondering why I started today's message with the warning not to get consumed with details when a doctor carefully researching this story is writing. And again, I say that because I think sometimes it's our culture that comes into play, looking into their culture. I don't want us to disregard what Acts is trying to tell us. But understand this. Last I checked, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, not the church, but the servant, the individual Christian, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So final point in the first two verses. What's the theme of the book? In these first two verses, you get the flow and the theme. The first book, Luke, was about Jesus. And now the book of Acts is about Jesus. I wrote to you about what Jesus began to do until the day he was taken up to heaven. Then Luke says these words, and giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. Jesus had to go, he wrote, so that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, can come. And the Holy Spirit was even more impactful and greater, and I don't know if you've been like me, but I've often said, I wished I could have Jesus walking beside me. I wished I could walk a long life with him. Well, we can in the Holy Spirit. When we read the book of Acts, we're going to see an account of the church on fire from the Holy Spirit. We're going to see Christians persecuted, but happy even in their circumstances. How does that fit in our culture of Christians? And a church that got scattered, yet it was actually in God's plan to grow His kingdom This book is the continuation of Jesus' ministry, directing his church through and by the Holy Spirit. Over the coming months, I want you to come along the journey. And may your life start leaning more and more into God's story for you. Please understand, this issue is not whether God wants to do a new work or whether God wants to use us. That's a given. I had a memory this week, and for an old guy, that's incredible. I had somebody this week my age say, quit saying that, you're the same age as me. It's like, I'm sorry, but I'm starting to feel old, and my wife tells me, you know, it's because you keep doing stuff to your body, plane crashes, motorbike crashes, I said, yes, but I was having fun doing them all, but I had a memory this week, and that's a good sign. I had a memory of my 16th birthday. I actually remembered that it was a Saturday and I did check just to make sure I had it accurate. It was a Saturday and I spent the entire day with my new Christian friends. They were from the youth group I was attending. And part of me that whole day, honestly, I thought I should be out getting drunk. Now, I grew up in a non-Christian home. But I didn't get drunk. And I had a lot of fun and laughed like I'd never laughed, and weirdly, as I went to bed that night, I remember thinking, my life is now different, and God has a story for me. So I laid in bed this morning thinking, what's my story been? I can tell you that there's competing three stories in my life. And even though I always have been in the church and have always loved God, I have leaned a little more into some of the other stories at times that I'm sad to say have cost me years. And I'm begging you and asking you, don't waste years. I don't care what age you're at or how old you are. Did you know that young people today are leaving the church in Canada in droves? 80% are walking away. Number one reason, they say, because Christianity doesn't work. What message are we telling our young people? What are we teaching them? What are we showing them? When our lives are always a story of the world and the flesh. And of course they're going to say, well, this just doesn't work. So here's a conclusion, but don't get too excited because for 1995. We're going to go on. Just give me your checkbooks. So in conclusion, God still writes stories. He writes redemptive stories. And is God wanting to write a story about your life? One of the first descriptions of the early church is Acts chapter two, verse forty two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I assume you're here because you're trying to learn. And to fellowship, you're all in different sections and colors, and every Sunday we try to do a little bit of fellowship at the end of the service. And to the breaking of bread, did you know this is 2,000 years old? And to prayer. At the end of the service, we'll have the altar open. The elders are gonna be down here. We have oil if you need prayer for something, anointing with oil for something. You have an ailment you need dealt with. You're emotionally uh, frustrated or stuck or you have bitterness you need removed. Come down, the elders wanna pray for you. Teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now fast forward a few years from this wonderful story and you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and you can turn in your Bibles there to verse 17. It's probably about, I was looking it up, I don't know, somewhere from 20 to 30 years later. And we find that the Corinthian church had actually already started to drift. That which they were originally taught, they were no longer doing. The communion table had become completely corrupted. They had what they were calling a love feast happening. And as we read the text, you're going to hear some were coming early so they could get all the food with their little group. There was division. They completely forgot what this unifying, beautiful story was about. So 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. 17, listen carefully. In the following directives, I have no more praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Ooh. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. And a little caveat, he's not saying, and he's about to say that in verse 19, that there shouldn't be different ideas in the church but there should not be division in the church. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. And here comes the instruction. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So once a month we come together. And if you keep reading this instruction, Paul says you ought to examine yourself so that you recognize the body and the blood of Christ, what this table is about. This isn't about us. This isn't about your little group eating and getting drunk. This isn't about you acquiring and making connections with other people. This is about connecting with Jesus. Book of Revelation, chapter three. There's one church there, do you remember? They had forgotten their first love, so we try to come to this table as often as we can, and we wanna do it right. So in our church what we do is we hand out one element, the bread, and everybody who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ has prayed to receive him, has received the forgiveness of their sins, take the bread, hold on to it. We want to make sure everybody has a peace. Then an elder will come up, sometimes they read scripture, then they pray, and they will tell us to partake together. Then the cup goes out, and same thing. If you're a follower of Christ, take a cup. You'll notice when you look in the cup, it's got a reflection of your face. And it, in our case, we have grape juice and our face is colored. I always look in the cup and I go, yep, yeah, there's the blood of Jesus. And there I am being changed. My appearance isn't the same anymore. The Holy Spirit's in me. And honestly, community is an opportunity where we can ask what story is being written in my life? Which story did I give into today or this week or this month? What does my bank account show in my story? Do my neighbors know me as a good man or do I go over there and yell? What, what do the waitresses know at my favorite restaurants about me? What story is being written? Is it all about this food is awful? Your service is horrible. Are you a loving, gracious person? There is no excuse for bad behavior. I'm sorry. No, they really don't want to know what you think. As much as you think, oh, they all want to grow and be better. Well, there's some point to that, but you can do it in a nice way. But what story is being written? Is the Holy Spirit in you? This morning you can ask and say, I want your story, God. I, I just haven't been there completely. I need your Holy Spirit to fill me. Maybe you're going to be sitting there going, examining your heart, and you're going to go, hey, I've got some conflict with the brother. You might decide to let the elements pass. You go, I've got to go make this right. Or, or maybe God will say, there's some sin in your life you're trying to hide. It just happens over and over and over again. This is time to ask forgiveness. This is a time to receive my love. This is a time for repentance. There's a lot can happen in these next few minutes. And my hope and my prayer is we walk out of here with His story written on our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as the elders come, we want this communion table to be a commemoration, a remembrance with the proper attitude. We want to recognize and remember that you, Jesus Christ, gave up your life at 33 years old. 100% you died for me. 100% your blood poured out for me. 100% when I ask for forgiveness, you you give it to me. Your grace flows, my life has changed, your Holy Spirit has entered in, and God, forgive us for when you're at the door knocking, so few of us actually open up that door and let you come in and have supper with us. We seldom have fellowship with you. Only 10% of the church prays every day, God, forgive us, forgive me. May I become a person who prays without ceasing, who's led by your Spirit, who can actually say it would seem good to us and to the Holy Spirit. And our days are changes, our finances are changing, our our disposition changes. And it starts right here at the foot of the cross as we remember you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.